The question was, are there stages to meditation? And there definitely are. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll make up a new fresh set of handouts that describe the ten... There's, there's actually ten stages in the development of, uh, uh, of meditation. Um, I mean, there's different kinds of meditation, but no matter what kind of meditation you do, what kind of practice you do, uh, in one form or another, sooner or later, you go through all of these ten stages if you go as far as as you can in those practices. But <clears throat> yes, just they uh, there's ten stages, but there's really there's four sort of major points in in those ten. The first, when you begin to meditate you often forget the meditation object and your mind wanders. And you can spend a lot of your meditation period with that mind wandering taking place. So the first sort of landmark accomplishment in your practice is when you get to the point that you can sit down and uh, for the entire period of your practice, uh, you don't forget your meditation object. Or if you do it, it just happens rarely and, and, and briefly, you know, maybe once or twice at the most during a sit. And, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, if you think about this, this is quite a remarkable thing. Anybody that's ever spent any time meditating has discovered how easily this happens, that you forget the meditation object. And once you've forgotten it, your mind goes from one thing to another thing to another. And that's what we call mind wandering. But these are the two things to it. The mind doesn't. The, the 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 wandering happens after we've lost the connection to the meditation object. And to be able to keep your mind on one thing, especially something that isn't inherently interesting, like if you were defusing a bomb, you might easily keep your attention on what you're doing for. A, uh, half an hour, right? You know, or, or if you were something that was just incredibly pleasurable, your mind easily stays on that. But the things we use as meditation objects, uh, even the most fascinating of them, have in common that the mind quickly loses interest. You know, and so we take something like observing the sensations of the breath. The idea that somebody can sit for an hour. <coughs> and be continuously aware of that breath for the entire hour. This is quite remarkable in terms of what most human beings are capable of doing. And so this is a significant achievement and development uh, of meditation. Now, I'll point out to you that even though you may not have forgotten your meditation object for that whole period, you're going to be aware of all kinds of other things. Bodily sensations, sounds, uh, thoughts, all kinds of things. And um, and this is completely normal. And if you were to start off meditating with the expectation that you're not only going to keep your attention on the meditation object, but there's going to be nothing else in your mind at the same time, it's just simply not going to happen. And one of the mistakes that people make when they say, oh, I'm going to learn to meditate, 
is that they think this is what has to happen. And so when they find that, that you know, they haven't overcome forgetting and mind-wandering, and even those short periods when they have their attention on the meditation object, they think they're supposed to be thinking of absolutely nothing else. And of course that doesn't happen. Uh, then they start thinking about the fact that they're thinking about something else and then they forget it. You know, So it makes it even worse. And so I, I find that one of the things that slows people down in the progress of meditation is trying to, trying to come to the point. It's called single-pointedness or exclusive focus when you're paying attention to one thing and you're not really aware of anything else. And that comes later. That's the second major landmark accomplishment. Somebody who has got to the point where they don't lose their meditation object will have all kinds of other stuff going on in their mind at the same time. And together with that, they may also be struggling with dullness and and drowsiness. But if they're able to stay with their meditation object, they're doing better than, more, way more than 99% of the human beings on this planet are probably capable of doing. Uh, you know? And that's, that's, that's quite an achievement. Although it doesn't take that long. If you, uh, you know, any of us can achieve that in uh, a reasonable period of time with daily practice and longer periods of practice. But the next step beyond that is to to bring your practice to the stage where not only do you not forget the meditation object, but you no longer have this this torrent of thoughts and sensations and everything that are constantly competing uh, for your attention with the meditation object. And as a matter of fact, one of the traditional ways the progress through this is described is at first all of these thoughts and everything else, all these distractions, are like a waterfall. And then they're like a rapidly moving river. And then they're like a slowly moving river. And ultimately they end up like a big calm lake. And that's where where you eventually uh, would like to go. This is called, it's referred to, as I say, as single-pointedness or exclusive focus. And this is, a, this is the next really major level of training of the mind. And when you come to the point where you can not only not forget your meditation object, but during the entire period of your meditation, uh, while you're observing the sensations of the breath, if that's your object, that there are very few thoughts that come into your mind. I mean, there will be occasional thoughts, but those that do, they come and go, and they're just kind of off somewhere in the periphery uh, to use an analogy. The analogies that are traditionally used is you pay them no more attention than clouds passing in the sky or boats passing on the river. Or I would, what I would compare it to is you're fully engaged with your meditation object. There's sensations. Uh, you'll, you'll, there'll be a door that slams or somebody will cough or something. But it's like it only touches your awareness just lightly and briefly. It comes and goes and it doesn't stick. And a thought may come. And you give that thought no more attention than if you're talking to a good friend on the sidewalk and a car drives by. There's some part of your mind that knows a car drove by. You know, but you don't, you don't, your attention doesn't go for it. That's what we mean by single-pointedness or exclusive focus. Then the third 
major landmark stage in development is what's called effortlessness. Once you've developed this single-pointed focus, you're continuously vigilant because if you relax your vigilance, you know, you'll lose it. But as long as you remain vigilant, you can sustain it. But then at some point, your mind becomes trained to the point where it's effortless. It's effortless. You sit down, place your attention. Now, associated with effortless attention is uh, both mental and bodily pleasure, joy. Sitting becomes very easy. As a matter of fact, you don't want to move. This is called physical pliancy. The uh, effortlessness of attention is called mental pliancy. There's a pleasurable feeling in the body that's called the bliss of physical pliancy. And there's a joyful state in the mind that's called the bliss of mental pliancy. These all arrive more or less together with effortless concentration, a sign of effortless concentration. Now, what's really wonderful about effortless concentration, what makes that very important, is you no longer have to be single-pointed. You use single-pointedness to train yourself and to bring yourself to the state. Now, you can observe a variety of things in sequence. Your mind can... Uh, you, you can take your mind off the meditation object and place it on some other object. Or you can observe a series of objects. Or you can observe there's a sound and you, you observe your mind's reaction to the sound and arising of uh, feelings in association with that. No matter what you do with your mind, your mind doesn't move except by intention. It doesn't go by itself anymore. It doesn't jump around. But... It's now, and the Buddha described it as malleable and wieldy. You have a mind that's malleable and wieldy. You can, you can move it around. You can observe things happening at such a rapid rate, and your concentration is not diminished at all. Single-pointedness, you don't need it anymore. You've used it. It's got you here. The other thing you can do with a mind that has effortless concentration is you can become single-pointedly focused and then just drop the focus and let your mind stay still well, whatever happens to come along can come in and pass out of awareness. It just arises and passes away and your mind doesn't stick to it or anything else. That's, that is the most profound state of awareness and, 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 as a means to achieving insight. So this effortless concentration that allows you to abandon single-pointedness, if you wish, uh, this is this is very very wonderful. It's very special. Now there is a fourth stage in your continuation of practice that, that which is really just sort of a culmination of this. What will happen is that the joy that you're feeling uh, uh, will subside and become a, a much more of a, a, a tranquil, peaceful uh, joy. There'll be strong sense of equanimity. There'll still be pleasure in your body, but it will be, it'll, it'll just be the kind of pleasure that makes your body irrelevant rather than you know, something that you would tend to dwell on. And that's the maturation of this. The other thing that's very special about this, this particular state is called pasadi, is that you're sitting in meditation and when you get up from meditation, you don't lose your concentration, you don't lose your awareness, you don't lose the sense of tranquility and equanimity. And so essentially, 
uh, you go through the world and you have this tremendous mental clarity with which you can observe your body, your feelings, your mental states, and the mental objects as they arise and pass away, which is a very powerful tool for insight. So those, those that's the, the ten stages have these four major landmarks, which is just to recapitulate <clears throat> continuity of awareness, where you stop forgetting the meditation object. That's the one that will probably take most people the longest time to achieve. Then everything starts to pick up, really pick up speed once you get here. Then you get to the point of single-pointedness. You're sitting there, your breath, you just put perfect attention on it, you're not aware of anything else. Then it will become effortless. And when it comes effortless, this opens up all kinds of possibilities for insight practices. The other thing that you can do when you have effortless concentration is you can continue in single-pointed practice and you can enter what are called the meditative absorptions or the jhanas. And these are really profound states of concentration that allow you to experience basically the different levels of mentality through, through further and further refinement of concentration. So you could practice the jhanas, and they also are a vehicle for insight and for enlightenment. Or you could take up any of the different kinds of insight practices, and you would quickly be very successful at them. For example, you know, I, I said once you had effortless concentration, you could uh, you, you could easily move your mind from object to object. And um, some of the insight practices, like the Mahasi method of, uh, of noting, is really based on that. They call that kanaka samadhi, or momentary concentration. Or if you just make your mind motionless and you just allow things to rise and pass away while you observe, that's what's called mahamudra, or zochen, or choiceless awareness, another very, very powerful way of practicing inside meditation. When you come to the point <clears throat> where you can get up from the cushion and bring this concentration and mindful awareness and tranquility and equanimity with you into your daily life and observe everything that arises and passes away, sensations, your mental reactions, feelings, emotions, mental formations, this is uh, called the, the, the practice of the four applications of mindfulness. And it is probably the most powerful of all of the... Uh, insight practices or vipassana practices. Uh, and then, of course, the other one is the jhanas, which is also can also be. So that's the stages of meditation. Okay? Now, most of, <clears throat> not everyone, but most people that have been coming regularly are um, they're, they're either in the early stages of uh, continuous awareness or they are in the later stages of still experiencing some degree of forgetting and mind wandering. So that's, that's what most of, that's where I think most of you are. You still have some mind wandering or if you're past the mind wandering that you still have, you're still dealing with a lot of distractions present in your mind at the same time, a lot of dullness arising and passing away. So. But any questions about that? Thank you for that question. <clears throat> yes? I wasn't sure if you touched on it because I came in a little late, but um, 
I was just wondering about, I've heard it before, maybe from you, that there's kind of an inevitable stage of dullness once you can get the single pointedness and, and stop, or I don't know, that's the right term, but once you, you get to the stage where your mind's no longer wandering and you can stay with the meditation object, that there, I guess I'm kind of dreading it, that there's this like inevitable like period of time that everybody experiences dullness for mm-hmm. some indeterminate period. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Uh, Actually, there's two different aspects to dullness. Now, when you start, when the mind starts to quiet down and stops wandering so much, then what you're going to find is you're going to be dealing with strong dullness and drowsiness. And everybody has to go through that. Sooner or later, your mind's going to calm down to the point where now you're starting to fall asleep when you meditate and you have to work your way through that. It might take a little while, but uh, but if you you know if you don't allow it to upset you and you just keep practicing through it, it's just it's just a stage that you go through and you come out the other side and you'll rarely have to deal with that again after that. Then there is another kind of dullness, subtle dullness, and that's where the meditation object loses its clarity. You're not getting dozy or anything, but you just feel so comfortable, you know. And that's a place where you can get stuck. So, what you have to do is to be on guard for any time your the clarity of your perception, the clarity, of the strength of your mindfulness starts to fall off. You sit down to meditate, and you're wide awake, and then 15 minutes into it, you know, you're not sleepy but you're just really kind of comfortable and warm and fuzzy and things aren't very clear. And people will mistake that for being, uh, for being very, very good meditation. I'll say, well, I hardly think of anything else. My mind's really single-pointed. But the thing is that you can get stuck there and just never get beyond that. So that's subtle dullness. So that's the other thing. Both of these things are things that every meditator will have to deal with at some point and get beyond. The first one is really obvious. When you're falling asleep, you know this is not supposed to happen. And you may wish it didn't happen. And it's actually unpleasant because, you know, you pull yourself out of sleepiness and it's kind of painful. And it's like, oh, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel good to pull yourself out of sleepiness. So, but at least there's no mistaking that this is something that's not supposed to happen. The problem with subtle dullness is, is its subtleness and its seductiveness, and it can fool you into thinking that, well, I've got to be a really good meditator. You know? But you're, you're just getting into sort of a dead end that you're eventually going to have to recognize and pull yourself out of. Sorry for the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> But these things, they don't take, they're not that difficult. They don't take that long. Really, in the, in, in the progression of these stages of meditation, every stage comes more easily than the ones before it. It's the very beginning. The first stage is, is establishing a regular practice, and that's actually the hardest one of all. Anyway, it's good to see you all. Welcome, all of you who came in while I was talking. It's good to have you here.
so I thought I'd do a little something, something a little bit different tonight than our usual silent sit. We'll begin as usual with the mandala prayer. <clears throat> but then what I thought I would do is to uh, lead you in a guided metta meditation. Um, does everybody know what metta meditation what it refers to? Metta, it's a Pali word, means loving kindness. So. What's that? Does everybody's okay with that? All right. <clears throat> then let's begin with the mandala prayer. Here is a great earth filled with the smell of incense, covered with a blanket of flowers, the great mountain, the four continents, wearing a jewel of the sun and the moon. In my mind I make of them a paradise of the Buddha, and I offer it to you all, sentient beings everywhere. By this deed, may all beings come to know the pure world, free from suffering. 